And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is God's word for us this morning. Please be seated. Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. I know we've got one more day, but it's coming. It's coming very quickly, and it is really a wonderful season of the year, isn't it? It's a sweet thing to be able to celebrate the arrival of the Lord Jesus, to think about that. I love the time that I get to spend with family and with friends. Uh, I love the food that I get to eat during Christmas, the gift giving. One thing I enjoy in particular is a tradition we have of making homemade cinnamon buns uh, and then eating that together as we do gift exchange on Christmas morning. Those are gluten-free cinnamon buns, but they taste really, really good. <laughs> They're really well done, and I love them. I also love the music of Christmas. Uh, you probably, if you're like me, many of you have spent some time riding in your car over the past few weeks, driving down the road and singing along with Christmas classics like Frosty the Snowman and Jingle Bells, and I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's interesting. Those songs are, you know, those are just decades and decades old, and yet our culture continues to sing those years after year. And it shows us that our culture enjoys celebrating Christmas, even though as a culture we are slowly forgetting what we're celebrating. And yet, as the people of God, we know exactly what we're celebrating. Uh, And that makes it so joyful for us when we're able to sing songs in particular that point us to the reason for our celebration. If you were here this past Friday evening, then then you got a treat as we were able to celebrate together uh, and sing together some wonderful songs that talk about Jesus and his arrival that point us to the birth of Jesus. Songs like, O Come All You Faithful, O Holy Night, What Child Is This, and Joy to the World. It was really great to sing those songs and have those songs even sung to us by the musicians who work so hard to serve us in that way. And it was good to sing some of those same songs together this morning as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord. This, that, that practice of singing is so important for us because it reminds us of what we're doing. It reminds us of the reason that we're celebrating the fact that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to be our savior so that we might be forgiven for our sins. Well, we're going to be focusing in a special way on Christmas this morning as we look at a very special song. This actually is the first Christmas carol that we're studying Here you have Mary. Her heart is uh, overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness because she's been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And so she responds in praise to God. And that's a good model for us as we think about what God has done for us in sending his son for us. And so my prayer this morning as we study this passage together is that we will respond like Mary and that our hearts will overflow with praise. And just think about it for a second. That takes an act of the will. We have to stir ourselves up to think about the gift of Christ so that we can praise Him. May God help us do that this morning. Let me give you some background before we dive into Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. Uh, The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, who was a close associate of the Apostle Paul. He's known as the beloved physician. Uh, The word gospel there, it just means good news. If you're not familiar with Christianity, when you hear that word gospel, you should hear 
good news, because that's what Christianity is. It's not, a, it's not a form of a religion. It's not a series of rituals that you need to do. Christianity, at its heart, is the proclamation of good news, and it's good news about a particular person, and his name is Jesus, and he is the Savior of the world. And what a joy it is to be able to proclaim the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's what Luke is doing here. He is presenting the life of Christ. And he's doing it in a special way with special intent. So look at, look at how he talks about this at the very beginning, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke here gives us his purpose in writing this gospel. He says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. I love that. Luke is very bold to say that the things that I'm writing in this book, it's actual history, and I've studied it, and I put it in order. It's a very careful order so that you can know and have certainty that, that what we proclaim is true, that it actually happened, so that your faith can be strengthened. That's what he was trying to do. He's writing this orderly sequence of the life of Jesus to a man named Theophilus. And really to the church of all time, uh, God by his Holy Spirit wrote this for us so that we would have certainty about what we believe as well. And because Luke is so careful, he's a very careful historian, because he's so careful, there are, there are a lot of events and circumstances in the life of the Lord Jesus that are contained in Luke that you won't find in the other Gospels. Uh, things about his birth and about his teaching and about his resurrection. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of kind of unique facets to Jesus' life that are only brought out as you look through the lens of the Gospel of Luke. And it's one of these special, only found in Luke details that we're studying this morning as we look at Mary's song of praise, which is traditionally known as Mary's Magnificat. Now Luke begins with an angel named Gabriel appearing to an old man named Zechariah, a priest, and informing him that his wife Elizabeth, who was also old, too old to have children, would indeed have a child, would have a son, and his name was John. And he would be a mighty prophet who would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is really the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, that the forerunner to the Messiah would come before the Messiah came. And, and John was to be this forerunner of the Messiah so that he could prepare the hearts of the people of Israel for the arrival of the Messiah. Zechariah initially didn't believe Gabriel's words. And yet, sure enough, very soon his wife became pregnant. Shortly after that, Gabriel also appeared to a young woman named Mary. Now Mary is one of Elizabeth's relatives. Uh, and the angel tells her that she's highly favored by God and that God had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. And she would name her son Jesus. Uh, Gabriel also told Mary that her uh, relative, Elizabeth, was pregnant through a divine miracle. And unlike Zechariah, who initially doubted Angel's word, well, Mary believed. Uh, she submitted herself to God's will in her life. As you would expect, now shortly after Gabriel's visit, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And when she arrives, another miracle happens. Just when Mary comes through the door, as it were, she begins to speak. Elizabeth hears her voice, but then also the baby within Elizabeth, John, he leaps with joy at the sound of her voice. Now this is a miracle. This is miraculous. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then listen to what she says about Mary in verses 42 to 44. Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. Now, for some of us, uh, this account is very familiar. And so it would be very easy for us not to really be impacted in the way that we should be impacted by these, these truths, by these realities. But imagine how Elizabeth's words would have impacted Mary when Mary first heard this. First, an angel from God visits her and tells her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And then she goes and visits her relative, Elizabeth, who also has been miraculously become pregnant. And now Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and pronounces her as blessed because she, who is a woman with no social standing, no titles, no lands, no money, really nothing that the world values, she has been chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, how would Mary have felt in that moment? Well, we actually know how she felt because she actually overflows with praise. We see that she's overwhelmed by joy and wonder. She considered all that God was doing, and so she praises God. And Mary is a wonderful example for us in that. It reminds us, brothers and sisters, as we think about Christmas tomorrow, it reminds us that we have so much to praise God for. If we'll just look at all the good he's done and not look for the things that we don't like, oh, we have so much to praise God for. And that's what I want the focus of our sermon this morning to be. Three reasons to praise God at Christmas that flow out of this passage. Three reasons to praise God at Christmas. So at Christmas, first, praise God for blessing you. We'll see that when we look at verses 46 to 50. Second, praise God for his mighty deed. We'll consider that when we look at verses 51 to 53. And third, praise God for keeping his promises. We'll see that when we look at verse 54 and 55. So first, praise God for blessing you. Now think about humans and expressing joy. We do that in many ways, right? Uh, sometimes it's a shout. We can't really contain the joy. and We just kind of shout out loud because we are so overwhelmed and words just don't seem enough. Sometimes we cry because we're overwhelmed by the emotion. Uh, sometimes we hug the people around us because we know that the way to increase joy is to share it with others. And sometimes we sing. And that's really what Mary is doing in this passage in verses 46 to 55. She's really overflowing in praise to God as she thinks about what God has done for her. Let's look at this song of praise then, the first five verses, verses 46 to 50 again, as we begin to look at this text. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Now, when you look at verses 46 and 47, it's very clear that Mary is filled with joy and praise. Verse 46, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That, that word in the original language in the Greek, well, it really speaks of exalting or, or glorifying. And the idea is that her soul is praising God for what she's experienced. Uh, that word that's translated magnify there is magnificat in Latin. And that's why this song has been known as Mary's Magnificat for centuries. In verse 47, Mary adds, and my spirit rejoices in God. So she's filled with joy and praise. Why? Well, actually, in verses 48 to 50, she gives us two reasons why she's filled with joy and praise. First, in verse 48, we see that Mary is filled with joy and praise because God had favored her. 
And this really speaks about God's attitude towards Mary, the way God was looking upon Mary. In verse 48, the first part, she says, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Those words humble condition there really speak of Mary's condition in the world. And to put it bluntly, Mary was a nobody. Mary had no money. She had no title. She had no land. She had no political office. She had no power or influence. Everything about Mary was humble, and the world, as it is, would have never taken notice of a young woman like Mary, and yet God does. Yet God delights to look with favor upon those who are humble and those who are lowly. God could have chosen a, a rich princess to be the mother of the Messiah, but instead he chose a poor, unknown, humble young woman, but a woman who had faith in him to be the mother of the Messiah, and he looked with favor upon her, and Mary recognized that for what it was, that it was grace. And so from now on, all generations would call her blessed because God had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. But second, in verses 49 and 50, we see a second reason why she's filled with joy, and that's because God had done great things for her. That's what she says. Because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. Oh, what are the great things that God had done for her? Well, most especially, she was now pregnant with the Messiah. As the angel Gabriel had told her, uh, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her, and he was going to create new life in her womb. And now think about it. Throughout the generations, because this promise of the coming Messiah was known by the people of Israel, it was their long-awaited expectation. For generations, young Jewish women would have wondered, could it be me? Could I be the one who's going to give birth to the Messiah? But that great honor was laid on Mary, and now she is carrying in her womb the long-promised Messiah. And Elizabeth, of course, if you listen to what Elizabeth said, Elizabeth recognized that this baby was the Lord. This is dramatic. This is amazing. In light of what God had done for her, Mary continues to praise God. Verses 49 and 50, and highlights the fact that God is holy. His name is holy. It means his character is holy. All he does is holy and that he's merciful to those who fear him. And fearing there, it speaks of respect and honor that's due unto God. Now, there's a lot that we can say from these verses, but I want us to make four observations that flow out of these verses this morning before we move on. First, I want us to notice that Mary was not sinless. Mary was not sinless. Roman Catholicism teaches that Mary was sinless. Uh, according to Roman Catholic dogma, Mary was conceived without sin. That's the idea of the Immaculate Conception. And Roman Catholic Dhamma also asserts that she continued to be sinless with, throughout her life. Mary would have been surprised by those assertions, and we see that here very clearly. She says her spirit rejoices in God, what? Her Savior. Now, if Mary was sinless, she would have no need for a Savior. But Mary understood herself very clearly to be a sinner who needed a Savior. And so she rejoices in God, her Savior. The second, I want us to notice that Mary should be honored for her godliness because over the years, many Protestants kind of in a reaction to Roman Catholicism and its excesses regarding Mary, well, they've gone too far in downplaying Mary as if she's not significant at all. But it's very clear as you read through the Gospel of Luke that Mary was significant, that she was a godly woman. We should acknowledge that Mary was a sinner, yes, but we should also acknowledge that Mary was a woman of profound faith, and you see that here. So, Think about this, when she was told by the angel Gabriel 
that she was going to have a child, she was in effect being told that many people around her would look upon her as an immoral woman who had broken her arranged marriage with Joseph and was pregnant out of wedlock. You see, there was a cost to her obedience. But what did Mary say? She said this, May it be done to me according to your word. Mary had great faith in God, even when it was costly. More than that, Mary was a woman of Scripture. Now, we've only covered the first five verses of this song, uh, but you can see already just how filled with Scripture Mary was. She's really soaked in Scripture. So much of the words and the themes of Mary's Magnificat here, it flows out of Hannah's song, which Josiah read for us earlier in the service from 1 Samuel chapter 2. But beyond that, Mary's song is filled with all kinds of allusions to the Psalms and to other portions of the Old Testament. It's very clear that as a young woman, her heart was soaked in Scripture, and what flowed out of her was God's Word. More than that, Mary was marked by humility. So the Roman Catholic Church may blasphemously call Mary the Mother of God and the Queen of Heaven. But that's not how Mary refers to herself. No, what does she say about herself in verse 38? She called herself very humbly, the Lord's servant. As you read through this, there's no hint of pride at all in Mary that she'd been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Instead, she's marked by this humble uh, amazement at God's favor, and so she offers thanksgiving and praise for the way God had blessed her. So, Christ Fellowship, it's right for us to avoid any excess of praise to Mary or worship of Mary, but it's also right for us to deny any kind of opposite error of downplaying Mary as if she's not significant because she was a woman of faith and she is to be honored and she is to be followed in terms of the example of her life. A third observation. Mary was, in many ways, the most privileged of Christians. Christ shared this observation with me, this insight, and I was encouraged by it. I wanted to share it with you. When we think about Christians who have... Uh, experienced uh, great privilege. Uh, you typically think of the apostles, the disciples, who were able to spend time with Jesus for three years and saw all of his miracles. We think of men like Paul and Peter. But consider the privileges that Mary enjoyed. Right from the very first time that the baby Jesus kicked in her womb, all the way to his death and his resurrection, she had kind of a front and center seat to watch a perfect life unfold. So she watched the baby Jesus as he's babbling happily and he's struggling to crawl. And she walks him as a, watches him as a child, as he's polite, respectful to his parents, kind to his brothers and sisters. And yet he has amazing insights into God's word that amazes the religious scholars of his own time. She saw Jesus as a young man who was diligently learning carpentry under the tutelage of his father Joseph. She saw Jesus when he began his ministry in Cana and he turned water to wine, uh, a creative miracle. She followed his amazing career for three years as she watched him teach with the wisdom of God. As she watched him heal the sick. Uh, as she watched him cast out demons and feed the masses. She rejoiced with his followers when he entered into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. And she wept and followed along behind him as he was beaten and bloody and bruised and carrying the cross because he was going to Calvary to die for her sins and for our sins. And praise God, she saw Jesus raised from the dead and glorified and exalted, never to die again. Imagine what kind of insight she would have had. Imagine what kind of memory she would have had as she shared with believers later on in her life, even when she moved to Ephesus later on with John the Apostle and lived there and continued to follow Jesus until she died. 
Uh, she would have been overflowing with insight into the character of the Savior because in many ways, Mary was the most privileged of Christians. And think about this. In a day when Christianity is often labeled as misogynistic, isn't it interesting that the most privileged Christian who ever lived was a woman? A fourth observation, at Christmas, Mary's example of joy and praise is a good one to follow. Verses 46 to 50, what's she doing? She's overwhelmed by the good things that God has done for her. So what does she do? She overflows with praise to God. And she praises God for the ways that he had personally blessed her. That's what she's focused on, the way God had blessed her personally, blessed her individually. And you know what, brothers and sisters? It is right for us at Christmas time to stop and think about the way that God has blessed us personally and to praise him for his good work in our lives. I know my own story. I was raised uh, in the church. My father's a pastor. I heard the gospel from my youngest ages. But by the time I was uh, uh, an early teenager, my life was characterized by lying and by getting drunk and by partying and by cursing. And I was really good at all of that. And very few people knew about it. And I was a world-class hypocrite. But then God in his kindness around the age of 16, not entirely sure, he showed me that the life I was living for, the, the things of the world that I was living for, he showed me just how empty they were. And he put a desire in my heart to follow Jesus, and he saved me. And for the past 30 years, he's been walking with me, and I'm far from perfect. You can ask my wife and children. There's still lots of room for growth. And yet Jesus has been faithful for almost 30 years to just walk with me on this path to heaven. And I'm not there yet, but by God's grace, I'm going to get there. And that's because Jesus is faithful, and he's blessed me in that way. And if we were to go around the room, many of you could say exactly how God has been gracious to you through Jesus, and how he saved you, and he's made you new. And it's a good thing for us to think about at Christmas. And it's a good thing for us to praise God for, that we would praise him for the ways that he has blessed us personally, and that we would think about just how significant it is that God has done that. You know, perhaps before you open the first present tomorrow, you can just stop and praise God for the way that he has personally blessed you and granted you his salvation if you're a follower of Jesus. Well, look at verse 46 to 50. We see that at Christmas we should praise God for the ways that he's blessed us personally through Jesus. A second reason to praise God, praise God for his mighty deed. The 19th century British parliamentarian William Wilberforce was wealthy, uh, he was a powerful statesman. He had lots of influence. He was also a very faithful follower of Jesus. And he made it his life's work to see slavery in England be abolished. And he worked at that for 20 years. Failure after failure after failure, but kept pressing on until in 1807, the British Parliament passed the Slave Trade Act. And Wilberforce was in many ways a remarkable combination of worldly power and faithful faith in Jesus Christ. But you know what? That combination is very rare. There are not many William Wilberforces in this world. Instead, most of the time, people who have power and money and influence, they want nothing to do with Jesus and Christianity because Jesus demands that those who follow him, they must humble themselves, acknowledge their sin, and acknowledge their need for Savior, for a Savior Jesus to rescue them. You see, in many ways, the gospel actually kind of turns the world upside down. Uh, the gospel humbles the rich and the powerful and exalts those who are humble and those who are lowly. And that's really the reality that Mary speaks of when she continues in her song in verses 51 to 53. Look at those verses. 
Mary continues, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. So in verses 46 to 50, Mary's praising God for what he'd done for her personally. Now in verses 51 to 53, Mary's praising God for what he will accomplish for his people. Uh, she's really speaking with something of a, a prophetic foresight here, a prophetic perspective as she looks ahead to what God is going to accomplish through the life of the Messiah, Jesus, whom she was carrying, and what God would accomplish was so certain that Mary could speak of it as if it had already occurred. So what did she foresee God accomplishing through the ministry of the Messiah? Verse 51, she says, God has done a mighty deed with his arm. What is that mighty deed? Well, most especially, that mighty deed is the cross of Jesus Christ and all that flowed out of it. The ministry of the Messiah in its totality, what it would do in the world. On the cross, Jesus, the Messiah, laid down his life for sinners like you and I. He bore our sins so that we might be forgiven. He did more than that, though. The cross is really a vindication. It was a vindication of those who had faith in God, who feared Him and who served Him. You see, the world has always mocked those who love and fear and serve God. That's not new in the last seven years. That's not new in the last century or millennia. That is as old as Cain and Abel. The world exalts money, power, riches. It wants nothing to do with a religion that requires humility and repentance and dependence upon God. Uh, the people that make the headlines are the great and the powerful and the mighty ones. The Joe Bidens and the Donald Trumps and the Xi Jinping's and the Vladimir Putins. The world fawns after those kind of ungodly and beautiful entertainers like Taylor Swift and Jay-Z and Beyonce. And be very careful what you let your children listen to. It's poison. But the world loves it. And the world loves the philosophy that they just kind of subtly pour into their lyrics. But you know, the world has no time and no interest for godly and humble people like Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary, or like Kimberly Ferguson or Trevor Stalnaker or Kristen Greeno. Yeah, the world's not very interested. And when you look around on the surface, it seems like maybe the world's right. Because all those beautiful people and all those powerful people, they seem to live their best life, don't they? They've got the health, you know, they can afford whatever they need. They've got the houses, they've got the cars, they've got the fame and the charisma. But friends, you have to understand what the Messiah came to do is to bring a great reversal in this world. So that those who are great and powerful and known in the world, ultimately, those who seem to have all the influence, ultimately, they're the ones who are not esteemed by God. But the ones who are esteemed by God are the humble and lowly those who acknowledge their need for God, those who confess their sinfulness, and those who cry out for God's mercy. At the cross, Jesus gave proof to this. That's the mighty deed that God has done. It's the means of this great reversal. Why? Well, this is what Mary's speaking about in 52 and 53. Look, she says, through the cross, God has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He's satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. What did the cross do? Well, in God's eyes, now it's those humble and lowly ones who are exalted. Those who have faith in him, they're exalted, but the rich and the mighty who reject Christ, well, in God's eyes, they are outcasts. And here's the thing, and here's the thing that Mary was seeing so clearly. The day is coming when that distinction is going to be seen by all. 
We don't see it now, but we will. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, he's going to demonstrate his utter and complete victory over all of his enemies. And when he establishes his kingdom, those who were humble and seemingly insignificant and have trusted in Jesus, well, they'll be shown to be right. And those who are proud and arrogant and rejected Jesus and sought worldly power and fame, they will be shown to be wrong, and they will suffer loss. And this is what Mary was seeing so clearly as she speaks of the mighty being toppled and of the lowly ones being exalted. So, friends, sitting where you are this morning, I wonder which one you are. Do you still look at this world and all the shininess and all of the riches and all of the power and all of the influence, and do you long for that? Is that what you're living for? Want to be a little more known? Want to be a little more famous? Want to be a little more influential? Want to have a little more money? Do you want that? Or have you realized that God exalts the humble and the lowly? And have you confessed your sins? And have you put your trust in Jesus? If you understand yourself to be hungry for righteousness, if you understand yourself to be poor in spirit this morning, you're blessed, Jesus says. You're blessed. But you know, Jesus offers his salvation to all, and it's offered to you this morning. If you realize that you need Christ, well, what we have to offer you is is the best thing you'll ever hear. And it is the free proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ, and it's offered to you this morning because, friend, you're just like us, and you were created by God to know him, to have a relationship with him, to walk with him. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They rejected his good command. They decided it would be better to live for themselves than to live for him. And so they sinned against him, and we sinned in them. And because we've come from them, we've all inherited that same sinful nature that makes us want to live life for ourselves. And often living life for ourselves means wanting to make myself powerful and wealthy and known. And I want to be out there in front of other people. And it leads us to sin against God and to break his commands. And it also leads us to hurt others as well. And that kind of heart idolatry of putting other things in God's place, that's sin. And sin is serious. Because sin separates us from God and sin brings us under the wrath of God. So that if we were to stand before God, uh, based on how we've lived our lives, no one would be able to stand before God and say, God, I've done a good enough job to make it into heaven. You see, Christianity is not a way that you can be good enough for God. Christianity is the proclamation that no one has lived a life that's good enough for God except Jesus. And that's the good news. That's the good news of Christianity. Uh, That's the mighty deed that God has done, is sending His Son into the world, which is what we're celebrating. And this Son would come and live a perfect life. And then when the time was right, He would lay down His life on the cross as a sacrifice for sinful people like you and me bearing in himself the wrath of God. He died, but then he rose from the dead. And now the good news of Christianity, this proclamation of the gospel this morning, is that if you understand yourself this morning to be a sinner who needs a Savior, that's Jesus. And all you have to do is cry out for his help. All you have to do is ask him to be merciful to you. Put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, and you will be saved. And that, friend, is the path to exaltation. That path is the way that God will look upon you and and you who are lowly. Well, you will be exalted in his eyes. He will make you a son or daughter of God. And that is offered to you this morning. And our prayer is that if you have not done that before, that today would be the day that you would do that. And then we want you to join us as we praise God for the mighty deed that he's done. As we praise God for this this work that he's done of kind of reversing the world and, and turning it upside down and then offering us life. We pray that you will do that.
and join us in praising God for all that he's accomplished. There's a final reason to praise God from this passage this morning, verses 54 and 55. Praise God for keeping his promises. Verses 54 and 55, what's Mary doing? Well, she's continuing to look ahead to all that God is going to accomplish through her son, Jesus, through the Messiah. She says that God has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Now, when Mary says God has helped his servant there, uh, she's rejoicing in the fact that God has now sent the Messiah, the long-awaited hope of the people of Israel. So again, uh, from the time of Abraham, God had made these wonderful promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. And for thousands of years, the people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah. And now the time for the fulfillment of those promises had come as Mary is carrying the unborn Messiah in her womb. Now, many Jews in the first century, they were looking for a Messiah who was going to come to be a, a political leader. He was going to be a conqueror. He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to establish a Jewish kingdom that was going to last forever. It's very possible that Mary shared those same expectations with many around her. But you know, the, the rest of the book of Luke and the New Testament teaches us that God was not going to fulfill his promises in precisely the way that the people in the first century were expecting. When Jesus came the first time, he did not come to be an earthly ruler, an earthly king. He was a king, but he did not come to establish his kingdom at that point. No, he came to offer himself as a sacrifice. But friends, he is coming. He is the king. And he will establish his kingdom, and it will last forever. His mission when he came the first time was primarily, though, to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Let me read that promise. If you want to understand your Bible, you have to understand Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and understand that the Bible is the unfolding of how God is fulfilling this promise. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, how did God keep this promise to Abraham? Friends, he kept it through the cross of Jesus Christ. In a way that Mary could not have fully grasped when she first sang her song, God would help the people of Israel by remembering his promise to Abraham, this promise of blessing, and he would send the Messiah to die on behalf of his people so that they might be blessed, which is to say saved, which is to say forgiven which is to say to become the sons and daughters of God by the adoption that they've received in Christ Jesus. That blessing of Abraham for the last 2,000 years has been spreading throughout the world. I knew all the nations of the world would be blessed, God says to Abraham. How's that been happening? That's been happening as the proclamation of the gospel has gone forth from Ju Jerusalem and Judea, and it is now spread to the uttermost parts of the earth, and that message of salvation will continue to spread, and more and more people will enter into this blessing of Abraham until Christ returns and this establishes his earthly kingdom. Friends, God has kept his promise. God has helped his people, Israel, and it's right for us to praise God for being a, a promise-keeping God. So like Mary, we should praise God for keeping his promise. You know, at Christmas, we rightly focus on the fact that God is giving us the Savior. But we need to keep in, keep in mind that in giving us the Savior, Jesus, God was fulfilling dozens of promises. As you read through and study the Old Testament, you see literally dozens of promises about the Messiah, what he would be like, how he would be born, 
where he would be born. And Jesus fulfilled each and every one of those. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to David that his throne would be established forever. Jesus fulfilled all of the promises of God to the prophets to give us such detail into the fact that he would be born of a virgin and born in Bethlehem and then born to die for the sins of his people. God fulfilled many other promises as well. And through the life of Jesus, brothers and sisters, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all the promises of God are yes and amen. He's fulfilled them all. In Christ's fellowship, we belong to Jesus. And that means we've entered into these promises. That means God has kept these promises to us. And we've been blessed through them. And we look forward to the day when Christ returns to establish his earthly kingdom. I was talking with Craig Smith earlier this morning about maybe it's today. You know, I'd like to see Christmas tomorrow, but it'd be better if Jesus came today. Amen. He's coming. So as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow, let's do so with a thankful heart. And let's praise God for being a promise-keeping God. And then think particularly about your own life. Over the last year, think about the ways that God has kept his promises to you. You know, we've had food and shelter, haven't we? He's forgiven all of our sins. Every time we've asked, he's forgiven all of our sins as he promises in 1 John. He's met us with new mercies each morning. Sometimes you go to bed at night and you're like, I don't think I can do that again. And then, and then there's fresh mercy the next day. It's amazing. And he's never left you or abandoned you. And God has done so much more. Why? Because he's a promise-keeping God. And we should praise him tomorrow and today. Mary's Magnificat is quite a song, isn't it? She's overwhelmed as she considers God's love and favor towards her. She responds in praise and she teaches us to do the same. That we'd be a people who are marked by praise to God for all he has done for us in Christ. So tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas, let's praise God for the ways that he has blessed us personally. Let's praise God for his mighty deeds. And let's praise God for being a promise-keeping God. And let's pray.